The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello, and welcome to the Big Blue Big Board Podcast. I'm Dan Pizzuta, joined here by Chris Flum. And we are going to be going forward into some more positional previews. But before we get into that, let's give you the weekly update of where the Giants stand. Right now, they're 5-8. and eight. They sit at about 10th right now. They're tied with... There's four other teams that are five and eight. So depending on the the tiebreaker and and whatnot. So they're going to be around the eight to maybe even like 12 range right now, depending on how the the next couple of games play out. If if everyone plays about the same as they have, Football Outsiders has them for the first time, I believe, with a 0.0% chance of the top overall pick. Those odds were much higher a couple weeks ago it looked like they were almost destined to be there now no chance at the top pick only a 5.1 percent chance at a top five pick and there are 10 teams right now with better odds to finish in the top five than the Giants so these past couple of wins have been good for the Giants overall maybe hoping something is finally clicking in that sense, but not great for those people who wanted a another high draft pick, hoping for maybe a quarterback or, or something along those lines. The Giants are probably going to be somewhere around either the back end of the top 10 or like somewhere in the middle of the first round. And Chris, that's, that's not something we were expecting even like three weeks ago. Yeah, uh, my how the pathetic have risen. I suppose we could say, but but wouldn't it be the most Giants thing ever for a team that needs talent like this one does to somehow wind up backing themselves, not only out of the top five, out of the top 10, but somehow backing into the playoffs and dropping down to the bottom third of the draft? Yeah, I think that's a little far-fetched, but... Wouldn't that be the most Giants thing ever, though? It would. <laughs> yeah, that would. I, I think more realistic is maybe they win 
one of these final three games, they get to like six and 10. And because there's just enough bad teams in the league, they're picking like 11th or 12th and kind of in a no man's land of there might be, if they do like a quarterback where they're going to have to trade up and leapfrog a team, or they are going to maybe miss out on one of the top defensive guys because they're not far enough up in the order. So there's there's a lot of things that can be going on with the Giants draft status over the next couple of weeks, and we'll just have to see where they land. Uh, And that's going to be a discussion for another time. So today we are going to look at what is going on at tight end. And I think most of our conversation, we're going to get into a couple prospects, but I think a lot of what we're going to talk about today is going to be focused on what the Giants could do at tight end because there's kind of a lot of possible moving pieces happening here. The Giants have used quite a bit of capital at the position. Two years ago, they drafted Evan Ingram, who was supposed to come in and be this matchup nightmare. In his rookie year, the last year with Ben McAdoo, uh, that wasn't really the case. He was used in a very inefficient way with a lot of just crossing routes. It, It seemed like that's all he ran. He was drafted because of his ability and his speed to get down the field, run down the seam. He wasn't used like that last year. We had some hope he was going to be used more like that this year, but that also hasn't been the case. He's also been dealing with some injuries this year. So I think it's going to be an interesting conversation to see where this current coaching staff and front office views Ingram in their plans And I think whatever their view is there really shapes what the Giants are going to do at tight end going forward. Yeah, and then there's the other side of the coin, which is Red Ellison, who is getting paid more than I think a lot of people realize. I believe he's somewhere around $5 million next year, and they could save roughly three if they cut him, which is a move they might wind up having to make depending on what free agents they want to bring in or players they might want to re-sign or extend. Yeah, so the the Ellison question is going to be big. He's someone that Pat Shermer had a past relationship with. He's someone who has played quite a bit. He's a guy they like for their blocking. They've thrown him the ball a little bit. He can maybe catch a little more than they've put him into the game plan, but... Uh, he, he's just not someone you want to be paying that much money for. And like you said, he right now has a $5.75 million cap hit next year. That is the eighth highest on the Giants for 2019. Uh, that Red Ellison is not that type of player. And like you said, they can clear $3.25 million in cap space by releasing him and we've talked about some of this in past episodes that when you release someone you still have to use a a roster spot and cap space to then replace them but I think in Ellison's case that's not going to be difficult for someone who is going to be the second tight end or the blocking tight end or whatever you can get that at a much cheaper rate so I think in that term 
the Giants are probably going to be looking at something different at tight end, at least in that spot. Yeah, that is just a straight economic decision if they make it. Because, you know, like you said, that over $5 million is a lot to pay a t- uh, blocking tight end, especially when you've got Scott Simonson right there who can do basically the same thing. The Ingram side of, side of things, however, that's the the interesting side. Right, and that is all about where this regime currently falls on Evan Ingram. You would think having someone with Ingram's skill set would make them use someone like Ingram more efficiently than they have. But right now he's either one being, again, used as just a regular tight end or just not really used at all. Um, And that is, that is, it's strange to see someone with the skills Ingram does. He should be able to be someone who gets lined up in the slot and can work down the seam, either run past linebackers or be bigger than defensive backs. That that's the reason Ingram was a first round pick. But that's that's still not the way he's been used, and and especially in an offense that doesn't really have a good third wide receiver. He should be that piece, but he just hasn't been. And, and the Giants are apparently a team that wants to use those tight ends. So it's weird to not see Ingram be incorporated in that way. And as the season has gone on, the Giants have tried to implement these tight ends a little more. So I have some of their like personnel splits from the first half of the season to after the bye. The first half of the season, they were in 11 personnel, which is one running back, one tight end, and three wide receivers. They were in that 66% of the time. Uh, that's down to 50% since the bye. So they've cut down on the three wide receivers. They're about the same in 12 personnel, which is one running back and two tight ends. That was 25% before the bye and 26% now after the bye. Uh, where they've really changed is how much they use 21 personnel, which is two running backs on the field. And that's been a lot of Elijah Penny. So they've really tried to work him in there. That's gone from 4% before the bye to 12% of their plays after the bye. Uh, so they're getting Penny in there to, I guess, be that extra blocker. They've been running more from from that situation and even when the Giants are using 12 personnel they are having a little more success running the ball they have a 48% success rate now running from 12 personnel and only a 31% success rate from 11 personnel but that is switched with passing success they have a 46% success rate in 11 personnel so that's with three wide receivers on the field and only 39% with 12 personnel and so it's crazy to me that they're they're not using really Ingram in that way. You would think they would use him a little more in 12 personnel to still get that run success with the heavier formation, but also have the pass success. But they're just not using Ingram in that way. So I wonder if possibly he's someone they might think of moving on from. That is not what I would do in this situation, but I would also be using Evan Ingram better right now. So 
And there's some hurdles that would have to be put through. The Giants would still owe him. Uh, there would be a $3 million dead money hit if they traded Ingram. And they would lose $44,000 of cap space. So they would take a hit there. But I, I don't know if it's someone they don't feel like their skill set matches what they want to do on offense maybe that's a move they decide to make yeah as you said his usage hasn't really changed from 2017 to 2018 he's being used a lot on crossing routes you know very little using that honestly freakish athleticism he would be a freak athlete for a wide receiver let alone a tight end and i see a lot of people claiming that drafting him was a luxury that he he was a luxury pick he doesn't contribute enough to the offense to basically warrant being on it and to me that just personally that makes absolutely no sense i as you said he could give you that wide receiver ability out of a 12 personnel package because you can line him up in the slot you could split him out wide these are things he has done throughout his college and nfl career and he forces matchups and forces mismatches. And he is the type of player who basically rips pages out of a defensive playbook. A few weeks ago, the Philadelphia Eagles just completely destroyed the Giants' offense by playing cover three with a personnel group that looked like... I'm not sure their own mothers knew who they were. It it looked like the fourth quarter of a fourth preseason game. But after the Giants dominated the first half, they got 65 yards and three points in the entire second half. Cover three is ridiculously vulnerable to a player like Evan Ingram. Now, granted, he was injured for that game, but he's the type of guy that makes that kind of defense almost impossible to play if you use him correctly. And and the Giants still just want to get him just those little crossing routes so uh, last year he was one of the most inefficient tight ends in the league just because of his usage i i think by dvoa he was which was football outsiders efficiency metric i think he was the least efficient tight end in the league uh, which is is just crazy with his skill set but and now this year his average depth of target which is how far away from the line of scrimmage he's targeted is lower than it was last year. So it was 8.9 last year. It's only 5.2 this year. And I I get that Ingram like can be an elite yards after the catch player. So we saw that against Washington where he had 77 yards on three catches. All of them came on shallow crossing routes. Right. And right now so the NFL's next gen stats has for wide receivers um expected yards after catch per reception and then a, a plus minus of a yards of yards after the catch per reception above expectation. I know that was a mouthful, uh, but that's basically how many yards after the catch per reception more these players are gaining over the expectation of where the pass is thrown, how close a defender is to them uh, when they catch it, and a whole bunch of other things. Ingram right now is fourth in the league in yards after the catch above expectation. He's number two in tight ends. He 
almost three yards, 2.9 yards better than expectation, which is great, but he's only getting targeted like about five yards past the line of scrimmage. Do you look at someone who was in the same draft class, George Kittle? He's tops in the league. He's getting targeted like two yards further down the field, and he's able to turn that into more yards after the catch. So there's a way to scheme these types of guys further down the field and still allow them to run after the catch. And I don't really understand why they're not getting Ingram to do that. So Ingram is only targeted on 5.28% of the Giants' air yards. And among all qualified pass catchers, which is like, I'm going to say about 80 right now from what I'm looking at, that is the lowest percentage of qualified pass catchers. And that is insane to me to use Ingram in that way. So I don't know if like they, they don't understand Ingram, they don't want to understand Ingram. And if it's the latter, then I... Again, I wouldn't do this, but then maybe it makes sense to move on for him and maybe get someone who can play tight end more traditionally if that makes you feel better. That's stupid if it does, but it's not something I would put past this coaching staff in front office. Going back a little bit, and this is something we'll, we might touch on again after the season, but it's kind of a Travis Beckham situation all over again, where they drafted this non-traditional tight end who is just a ridiculous matchup nightmare. Honestly, what, he was one of the best receivers in his draft class, and that was a draft class that included Hakeem Nix. And the Giants took him and decided to use him like a traditional tight end, even though he was that that's just not that he wasn't even used like that in Wisconsin. And then he appeared to be a bust until he Tours ACL and that ended his career. But, you know, almost a decade later, and two different coaching staffs are basically doing the same thing with Evan Ingram. So I think there is some truth to that, that maybe if he, if they're not going to use him to his full extent, maybe he would be better off elsewhere. It feels like there's. The the sense around Ingram is that he gets dinged for, like, not being a good enough blocker, but. Who cares? <laughs> the, the dude runs like a 4-4 at his size and weight. He should be a matchup nightmare in the passing game against anyone you put him against. And I'm going to co- continue to rail about this, that passing is more important. And if you have someone like that who should be able to get open and take advantage of any matchup that you put against him, use him that way. Like, I, I just, I don't understand why, like, that is not something that is being schemed toward him. Putting him in line and asking him to block on run plays is not going to go well. Fine. But that shouldn't matter. That's not what he's supposed to do. And if you think that's what he's supposed to do, then one, you're an idiot. And two, <laughs> then fine. Then move on and find someone else. But you're making a mistake by not using him better. Absolutely. Yeah, this is something we talked about when we decided we were going to make this show the way we're doing it. If the Giants trade Evan Ingram, if they trade him to the correct team, they will look like absolute morons. Because if you put him on the Rams or the Chiefs or 
down in New Orleans with the Saints or in New England with Tom Brady, we all know what will happen. He will be a pro bowler. He will be a multi-time pro bowler. Just thinking about what Sean McVay would do with Evan Ingram in their their tight sets and their bunch formations and the exclusive 11 personnel right now, they're killing people. And Gerald Everett is their top tight end. Tyler Higby, sometimes those two split. You can't tell me Evan Ingram would not be more explosive in that offense than either one of those two guys. And and yeah, uh, put him in New Orleans where Drew Brees has made Dan Arnold a thing over the past couple of weeks. Uh, there's just teams that, that are using these types of guys. They realize what their strengths are, and they're catering a role in the offense to what those strengths are instead of trying to make them a traditional tight end. I, I don't understand having someone like Ingram and trying to make him play like he's supposed to be some just normal tight end. I get Like if, it's Jake if, Ballard. Except right, they yeah. probably had Jake Ballard running down the field more, even though he runs about a— or ran about a six two forty. <laughs> yeah, there's it doesn't make sense to me at all. And I think when when you look at what they're going to do, it's it's almost a waste of everyone's time to have Ingram on the field and continue to use him in the way he's been used. It's or waste, not use him. <laughs> right. It's a waste of Ingram's time uh, because he's not going to perform well it's a waste of your time as an offense because you're not putting him in the position for him to succeed and if you're going to ask him to block on a majority of his plays then yeah you're you're not setting him up to succeed and that's not going to work well and then you're going to be pissed at him that he's not performing well but that's not what he's supposed to be doing so if that is how they view him then then fine, move on. Find the best deal you can get and go get another tight end. That, again, still doesn't make sense to me, but I can see that as a path. If that's how they're going to use him, because it's not doing anyone any good to have Ingram doing what he is currently doing. No, not at all. He, if anything, they're hurting his chances of getting a good second contract which playing tight end anyway hurts his chances just the reality of the position and they're basically taking a guy who should be one of their premier weapons a guy who like i said before should be ripping pages out of defensive playbooks like oh can't play tampa two against this defense they've got evan ingram can't play cover three against this defense they've got evan ingram okay maybe we have to play seven in the box because Ingram's going to be running down the field on us. And we can't just cover Odell and play eight and double cover Odell and play eight in the box to try to swarm Barkley. Because if we do that, Ingram's going to pick up 20 on us, but instead they're having him play in line. And for some reason block 270 pound, 280 pound defensive ends. So not only are they taking taking a weapon off of the field, they're basically putting him in, in position to fail. And it's one of the inefficient things this team does that just frustrates and confuses me, and I'm sure you too. <laughs> Absolutely. 
there's no question that it's been in a season where there have been more than a few frustrating things on offense. That is certainly one of them. And so I think another one of the reasons where if you're the front office or the coaching staff and you're not feeling great about what Ingram gives you, I think possibly one of the other reasons you might think about moving on is how good recent tight ends have been coming into the NFL. It used to be that tight ends was really one of the hardest positions for rookies to come in and and make an immediate impact. Uh, But I think we're seeing right now that isn't exactly the case. And there are some guys who are clicking a little faster because the position has become more athletic. It's opened up a little more at the college level. So these guys are getting more passing reps. And so we've seen the past two tight end classes have been pretty good. And this tight end class should be another one that has some pretty good prospects coming out. So maybe if you if you come in and you're looking at maybe adding a tight end in the draft, you could possibly get a little cheaper at that position and maybe offer something that's better for the offense as a whole. So looking at over the cap has some projections of what the cost might be at each position if the Giants draft someone in the in the second round that's about $1.3 million next year. That's way cheaper than Ellison. That's going to be cheaper than Ingram. If they wait till the fourth round, it's only about $686,000 for someone. But then you're you're hoping you know a fourth round tight end hit. But again, that's saving money there. So you know who knows uh, what they might do. But I, I think when you look at some of these specific prospects, you know maybe that. That makes sense as an option to take. Yeah, if you're only going to use your tight end as a blocker and safety blanket for the quarterback, especially if they're if they're running more twenty one personnel with Eli Penny, which I do like him. Now, in a era where fullbacks are basically irrelevant, he he brings a nice skill set, and I'm sure every time he watches Eli Penny, Henry Hynoski kind of winces a little bit because he knows he could do that. <laughs> but having a fourth round tight end, you know, a, a guy who could just block on the edge a little bit, run a three yard crossing route and catch a check down pass. You, you don't need an elite investment to do that. No, you don't. And now if we get into a couple of these guys, this is the big blue big board. We probably should. Yeah, well, we're going to hit just a couple prospects, fewer than we usually do. Uh, we'll get more into this position uh, maybe later in the offseason if anything happens in in the regard of the position. And we'll see if the Giants uh, do need someone. So you have three guys uh, that you listed here. And because... Two of them were going to be together. Let's let's start with the the third, uh, and that is Herb Smith out of Alabama. Yeah, Smith's one of those guys. He he's almost like a classic Alabama prospect where you don't really hear too much about him because he's been 
buried on the depth chart by other NFL players for two or three years. And then all of a sudden he rotates to the top of the depth chart and then has a great season. He's a little bit smaller or a little, I should say a little bit shorter than like OJ Howard. He's only about six, three or so, but he's got a solid frame, 240, 245, something like that. Coming out of Alabama, he can block, obviously. He can block in the run game. He can block in pass protection. But this year he's shown he can be a receiver. He can run routes, he can catch the ball, and he can actually hurt a defense in the passing game, which was something he hadn't really shown as a sophomore. Yeah, and he got a chance to be a part of that offense um he was he was used a little less frequently than oj howard was uh in his final year but he was tied for third on the team in targets uh with 54 he was fourth on the team in receptions eight touchdowns so uh he was he was using the red zone he had great explosiveness when he was a a big play type of threat he had 17.4 yards per reception which is incredible for a tight end like we've we've mentioned for some of these other positions that the athletic testing is going to be big and I think that's definitely a case for a tight end especially when we get like composite scores like spark which is something that takes most of the combine numbers kind of puts them into one big formula and brings it out as like a percentile uh, among NFL players at that position. That's been huge for tight ends. Evan Ingram was like a spark star. Uh, so was OJ Howard. And George Kittle in that group of tight ends was the best in spark. And that's kind of one of the reasons he stood out and why a lot of people thought he was a steal when he was taken. That was like one of the best tight end classes we expected coming out and Kittle was like a a hidden superstar in there and it's shown he is absolutely translating that to the field so when we see some of these these combine numbers and the the workout numbers a tight end uh, is is one that uh, at least to me is highly impacted by what those numbers say yeah and speaking of George Kittle hyper-athletic tight end out of Iowa now we get to Noah Fant, who is generally considered the top tight end in the class. He'll probably be a first rounder. I don't know if he would fit the Giants if we're talking about the Giants moving on from Evan Ingram. But A, they probably wouldn't want to invest a first round draft pick in a tight end, just period. But also Fant is similar to Ingram in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, playing in Iowa's offense, he lines up more in line or in the backfield is kind of an H back than Ingram did at Ole Miss, but otherwise they're pretty similar, basically the same size. Fant might be a, a couple pounds heavier than Ingram was coming out, but I'm not sure that there's any difference now. Super athletic, real fluid on the field. And he's really more of a ginormous receiver than an undersized tackle, which is kind of the two ways you look at the tight end position nowadays. So he'll definitely be a receiving tight end first, and he's not much of a blocker right now. Uh, He might even be a worse blocker right now than Ingram was coming out. Yeah, he's someone that a lot of the NFL should like, but the Giants 
shouldn't either because he has a very similar skill set to Evan Ingram and either Ingram's going to be on the roster or they could potentially move on from Ingram if they don't like his skill set. And if that's the case, then they're not going to be interested in Fant because the overlap there uh, is is very close. So I think when we talk about Iowa, though, they have a second tight end who I actually kind of like a little more than Fant, to be completely honest. I You're see not why, the only one. <laughs> yeah, I can see why everyone likes Fant. He's a great pass catcher. He's going to test super well. But TJ Hawkinson... When you look at the numbers, he was actually a better pass catcher than Fant was, just in terms of numbers. So Fant had 61 targets in that offense. Hawkinson had 61. So they were right next to each other. But Fant only had 39 catches. Hawkinson had 46. Hawkinson had 707 yards to Fant's 519. Hawkinson had six touchdowns to Fant's seven in yards per catch, Hawkinson was 15.4 over Fant's 13.3. He was a little better in like efficiency and explosiveness. And Hawkinson is more of the traditional tight end in the sense that he will run you over if he's going to block you. Um, yes. Yeah. He's, he's someone... I don't know if he's going to be as athletic as George Kittle, but he kind of does remind you of Kittle in that way because Kittle was someone who could go out and catch the ball and, and run down the field, but he was someone who was going to knock a guy out when he was blocking. I remember one of oh, when I was oh, watching Kittle when he was coming out of the draft, back when draft breakdown was a thing uh, when... You could have, <laughs> yeah, you could have the, the cut-ups there. There weren't a lot on Kittle, but I remember one game specifically, he had like two huge catches on like wheel routes down the sideline, and, he, and there were like two or three blocks in the same game where he just drove dudes to the ground. And when you can combine those things, that's what you want to see, and I think that's what Hawkinson can bring. I think he's going to be a really good pass catcher, when put in the right situation and he is a guy who is going to be able to block um, so I think if you're looking for an all-around tight end I don't think you lose much in the passing game from Hawkinson and you gain a lot from him just being a willing and able blocker yeah definitely and he's a guy he can line up in line and not be out of place he can he can move into the backfield yeah, he's not so tall that he can't effectively play the H-back. Or you could move him out to the slot and make use of his hands there. Of the three, he's probably, not probably, he's the most versatile. And he can be good pretty much anywhere. The only question with him is, would will he even be in the draft? He's a redshirt sophomore, and you don't normally see guys that young declaring out of Iowa they tend to hold on to their prospects a little bit longer. However, if he gets a good report from the advisory committee, it also wouldn't surprise me if he d if he does declare for the 2019 draft. And if he does, I could see the Giants being interested if he happens to maybe slip to the end of the third round and they perhaps package a bunch of their day three picks to try to trade back up into it. That is, of, of course, assuming they even have a hole there, which was what the whole premise of the first half of this podcast was about will they even have a hole yeah he is someone i think specifically i think maybe even 
or maybe especially if the Giants hold on to Ingram and move on from Ellison, he could be that number two guy. It's a position he's playing right now in Iowa. He's the more traditional tight end who can also make plays while Fant is more the, the pass catching tight end who has a little fewer you know, traditional tight end responsibilities. I think that could be a great combination for the Giants if they want to you know, run out 12 personnel more next year and if they don't have another good third wide receiver, which right now they still do not. So if you have an offense, you're looking at Beckham, Shepard, Barkley, Ingram, and Hawkinson as your five skill position guys, that's going to be fun. Especially if they say release Rhett Ellison because they want to make a play at Daryl Williams to fix the right tackle position. Then you could upgrade your right tackle and then upgrade or get a younger, cheaper, more athletic, and not worse blocker for your number two tight end. That could open up quite a bit in the offense as a whole. That's, I think, a possibility they could go. I know we've we've talked about a lot about Ingram here, and I think that's a discussion that is going to be had uh, by the coaching staff and the front office during this offseason. Uh, whether anything comes of it, I wouldn't expect it to, but you know, who knows how they feel. But I think moving on from Ellison is absolutely a realistic possibility, especially at his his cab number and and freeze up so maybe that second tight end position is a place where they want to look to upgrade and oh there's not going to be a shortage of tight ends so maybe getting someone in that late day two or early day three uh, could be someone who can fill in and we're going to talk about more about you know tight ends but you have just to throw some other names out there, like you have the Caden Smith of Stanford, Isaac Nuada from Georgia. You're going to have some guys like that who could be available around that area. So I think that might be where the Giants go if they do want to get an upgrade in the tight end. So if we're talking about tight ends, that might be the, the target area there. And I think that makes a whole lot of sense, uh, more than the scenario where Ingram is no longer on the team. Yes, but we've also seen them make more than a few moves where we're just left wondering why, what, what were you thinking? What, what is the process here? I, the, the process, the offseason process should be to look at themselves and say, hey, we have this incredible weapon in Evan Ingram. We need to, we need to fix ourselves so we can make use of him. Right. That should be the plan. Hopefully. Uh, for the outlook of the Giants' offense, that is uh, what the plan is. Um, but I think either way, I, I think there is going to be some type of change at tight end. I would not expect Ingram and Ellison uh, to both be back. But I think we can look at it that way. So I think with that conversation, we can end it there. We're not, I don't think we're really going to give you guys college recommendations. There are bowls starting on Saturday. That watch they're, them. they're spread out enough. Yeah, watch them if you have a, a chance. I don't think there's any that really stand out 
uh, from this Just time uh, before we get to our, our next episode. I think they they really start kicking off like right before and right after Christmas. So do that. Maybe like I don't know. Yeah, there's not even just one we're going to to point out. If if you have time to watch these bowl games, just just do it. That's what they're there for. Yeah, um, yeah. it's bonus football. Just enjoy it. Yeah, especially these early ones that don't really matter. The teams are fine. We'll we'll have more to say about bowl games when they really start to matter. So. That's it for this episode. Please subscribe to this podcast. If you have not, you can find us wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review. Also, uh, that is of great help to us. Follow our work on BigBlueView.com. Follow BigBlueView on Twitter at BigBlueView. Follow us on Instagram at Big underscore Blue underscore View. Follow me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. You can follow Chris on Twitter at RaptorMKII. We will be back on Monday breaking down what happens in the Giants game this weekend against the Tennessee Titans. So thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you again soon. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.